Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to AusBiz Live from the Barangaroo Studios. Great to have your company. You have tuned into the call for the next 60 minutes. We go through 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. It is the 1st of November. Yes, it is Melbourne Cup Day. And we can say it's Christmas is just next month. And then always the response is, where is the year gone? Uh, anyhow, uh, as you get older, it seems to go quicker. But today, a bit of a special on the call. It's a Melbourne Cup Day special. And we have 10 Melbourne Cup related stocks to go through and our two experts today Scott Phillips from the Motley Fool. Scott welcome to you gosh happy rates day happy cup yeah. day <laughs> do you have a tip for us straight off the top uh, for the cup or the rates yeah the, <laughs> <laughs> for the cup have you got one for the cup uh, mate, I, I am not close enough to whatever no. Karen McAvoy is on I'll go with yeah yeah I'm the same Mark Gardner from Macro, are you a, are you a punter on the Melbourne Cup? No, I'm not. My uh, many years of uh, sitting there waiting for RBA at two thirty as, as a bond futures trader pretty much <laughs> pretty much oh. derailed that. So, so the uh, RBA has bucketed up for you, for you for, for years. Well, for a couple of decades, yeah. Uh, so um, no, I used to like it when it was eleven thirty. We could get it done and <laughs> out of the way, but uh, no longer these days. That's a good but point. Um, that's a really good point. Yeah, one of the upsides of switching to equities. One of, one of many. <laughs> exactly right. All right. Before we get um, into our stocks and uh, the five stocks that we're going to do today are Appium, uh, Memphisus, uh, Lavisa, Betmakers, and PointsBet. Now you're probably thinking Lavisa, I know, and Betmakers and PointsBet. The other two, maybe not. They're veterinary, um, veterinarian related, and horse related, stud related. So we'll get into them shortly. But before we get to our panel. Um, who else to ask about investing in the racing-related sector than someone deep into a, uh, themselves, the chief executive of Waterhouse VC, Tom Waterhouse. He spoke with our very own Lizzie O'Neill, who asked him where the big money in the industry is really made. Well, look, uh, yeah, horse racing, yeah, the big money's made, I, I would say, and I don't know this part of the industry well, but in the breeding, and also over the years, you've seen uh, a lot of people make money in the bookmaking. And and I guess also you, you see those super groups that have made a, a fortune uh, in professional betting. Um, they're now global. You see a lot of a couple of the English Premier League teams are owned by professional punters. And uh, yeah, so I guess they're the three areas that I've seen significant uh, wealth being created uh, in, in the horse racing industry. And how do you get access to it via public market? Oh, look, uh, so you, the, the listed entities um, that you see there, obviously you've got in the Australian market here, Tabcorp, uh, PointsBet uh, are both listed operators. And then you've got businesses like Betmakers, which are, are service providers to, to the racing uh, industry. We, we focus as, as a fund on the service providers, but uh, 
yeah, if, if you can get access in public markets through them. And then obviously you've got overseas businesses like Flutter and Entain. They, Flutter owns Sportsbet, Entain owns Ladbrokes, which are here in the Australian market. And on those kind of betting companies, there are quite a few listed ones. What are the key things you look for in a gambling-related company? So we, we focus on the service providers. So we look at uh, things where they're providing a unique piece of technology that we think that can scale from one or two operators to many operators. Um, I guess if you're looking at the business-to-consumer operations, the likes of Pointsbet and Tabcorp and, and Flutter and Entainer, even though that's not our area of focus, I think a key ingredient in regulated markets is, are the businesses that have got uh, scale, significant scale to withstand the tax regulatory changes and also to be able to compete in marketing spend. And can you go into any more detail on some of the specific ones such as Betmakers and PointsBet? Yeah, okay. So look, Betmakers, the the thing that we really like about that business, they've got something very unique. They control the ecosystem between uh, the horse racing uh, bodies or horse racing uh, clubs and they control the data that comes from from the uh, horse racing to the bookmakers, and they control the data going back from the bookmakers to the horse racing. So they control that bit of the ecosystem, and they're also integrated now with uh, must be 24 bookmakers that are on their platform, but also a whole variety of bookmakers, both in Australia and also globally, for different data feeds. Um, they've also got the uh, they've got the exclusive rights to fixed odds in New Jersey um, for horse racing, and they have a a tote business as well um, and also they have a platform business so they've got things that are that are unique and we like them because uh, well they're a technology provider so they're sort of shielded in many ways from the regulatory and tax risk um, points bet uh, well they're a, uh, a group of Aussies that have done an amazingly uh, amazing job to take a business from startup might be five six years ago to now being one of the biggest in the Australian market and they've uh, now a player in the US and got licenses in many states and also in Canada, uh, which is just a, a amazing to take a business and, and grow it in that period of time. Uh, they've got to they've got to compete with the big boys, and and I think their biggest challenge is the macro environment's changed in in terms of the ability to get uh, access to money has changed. But they're a very switched on uh, group of group of people, and and the management team's excellent. So. I, I'm sure they'll find a way through that. And yeah, it's nice to see Aussie guys uh, battling it out in the US and and doing well. So Tom Waterhouse with his view on some of the betting stocks and um, how you make money in in that sort of market. And as he said there, mainly his venture capital business is mainly in the B2B market rather than just purely listed stocks. But uh, 10 stocks that are sort of Melbourne Cup related today. And the the first one, uh, Mark Gardner from uh, from Macro, is Appium. Now, I have never heard of this, but it's in uh, the animal health business. Um, it is uh, in veterinary services, uh, genetics, um, wholesale and retail related products. What's Appium? Yeah, these guys basically sort of a roll-up trade in a way. Um, I, yeah, they've, been, they've had some pretty decent growth over the last couple of years. Um, but, I mean, realistically, though, uh, when you have a look at the, with, you know, high inflation, 
Uh, it seems to be with these roll-ups that you know their their gross margin's quite high, but their net margin is extraordinarily thin, around right. the sort of three percent mark. So obviously, by rolling up, they've, they've you know the the vet's still getting quite a lot of the um, uh, you know quite a lot of the margin there. So you would think this would be a massively high margin business, yes, but yeah. it's so um, that this is your vet version of uh, steadfast and AUB. Sort are of, in yeah. insurance brokers or Pacific Smiles with dentists? Um, yeah, probably more so maybe so Pacific, bit, Pacific Smiles. Yeah, so I this suppose. is all yeah. that. Okay. Uh, and look, it's you know at the moment it's it's an okay business. Um, I don't think there's much wiggle room for things to go necessarily uh, sideways. Uh, we've got you know I think it, I think uh, consensus analyst targets not too far from here, about ten percent right. to the upside. Uh, their revenue's been growing um, pretty steadily over time. Um, obviously, their profit margins been, has been dropping off a little bit, so um, which has just affected their net profit. But we'll, I guess we'll, it'd be one that I would, um, I'd probably want to see a couple more reports okay. before I, before I considered it. See how you know with these roll-up trades, obviously you know um, interest rates potentially if they're doing it on leverage is going to be a bit of an issue. Yep. Um, how much that compresses their margins further from there because 2.89% um, yeah. isn't, isn't big, no. so they haven't got much room to uh, okay. make any mistakes. Isn't that funny? I w- would have thought vets would, <laughs> would be well, a license As I to say, the gross money. margin's 56%. Right, so okay. a lot's going mm. back to the vets. So. All right. Okay, Scott, what do you think of Appium? Yeah, it's interesting one, Koshi. Uh, 59 vet clinics, uh, 240 odd individual vets working for that business. Green Cross Vets, you might remember from a few years ago, was actually AXX listed as well. It was actually taken yeah. private by TPG. And story is only this year that TPG might sell some of the Green Cross, actually splits for the Green Cross business. They're worth more than a billion dollars, they reckon. So there's some good money in wow. vets somewhere. Right. Uh, Appium, obviously, the kind of largely a rural provider. So if you think about Green Cross being largely re- uh, metro and regional, um, right. Appium being largely rural, it's crossover, but that's kind of the idea. There's, there's a business here, and it's not the world's worst business. But as Mark says, the problem you've got with these things is roll-ups work if each individual business itself scales, and these tend not to, or if you can get enough corporate scale to make it worthwhile, and thus far they haven't been able to get quite there yet. Um, the challenge with, unfortunately, rural services businesses is they tend not to be particularly uh, great unit economics. You just don't have a lot of people in the local area to actually utilise a single cost base. And as we know, if you take a single cost base, like a single store, a JB Hi-Fi, for example, so many mm. people go in and out of those, keeps the cost really, really low. So the key, the key challenge, I think, for Appium as a business is to get that scale by hook or crook somewhere along the line. It's not super expensive at 16-odd times earnings. Um, it's, it's a very decent business. You would assume it's a business with pretty good underlying economics, probably not a lot of competition either in the places it operates. So it's one of those things where it doesn't appear to be huge amounts of obvious downside for the company. Right. The question, of course, if you're investing in this business, you, you ideally want to make some money and preferably more than the market. Otherwise, you buy an ETF and go fishing, as I always say. And so if you're in that situation, at 16 times earnings for a business with relatively low uh, margins, as Mark's already said, hard to recommend to buy. I wouldn't run away from it. Yeah. If you like the idea for whatever reason, then stick with it. Uh, but I think for me, it's probably yeah. a very solid hold. And, and I would suggest to a country bet probably wouldn't make the, the margin on his customers and on. a city pet owner who will spend thousands on their French <laughs> poodle uh, rather a country owner with a cow or a sheep uh, would yeah. go, no, nah, I'm not spending that amount. I'll just get rid of the thing. 
Yeah. I was, there's there's a bit of money in it. Is, uh, yeah. is a lot all right, worse. I wasn't going to go there, Mark, but uh, oh, we'll, we'll okay. move on. Sometimes it's the human. All right, to do. yes, I know, <laughs> I know. All right, um, let's uh, go to our second stock, Scott, and um, and Charlie wants a view on Memphisus. Now, this is in um, sort of basically the breeding reproduction biotechnology of, mm-hmm. um, and it's got this um, this product called Felix System that separates sort of good sperm from bad sperm in, um, mm-hmm. in Bredian animals. Recently did a raise, only in August as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Memphisus? It's one of those businesses, Kosh, that has, it has, there are some really great, really niche companies in Australia, but yep. this is, I mean, it doesn't get much niche, right? When you talk about animal insemination, that's all, I mean, yeah. it's, it's big business in the terms of, you know, it's very important for our rural industries, incredibly important for uh, great livestock reproduction. So these things, they're really necessary. The problem is the size of these businesses don't often get to, and we talked about scale before, reasonable scale. This is a $16 million market cap business. This right. is tiny, okay, absolutely tiny. Still not making a dollar. You mentioned a, a, a capital raising. They have raised capital quite a few times over the last four or five years. The share count's absolutely ballooned. Uh, meanwhile, the shares have fallen from about 10 cents to about two cents. So it tells you the story. These guys have, and it's one of those things, you, know, you look at a chart sometimes of earnings and, and for, go back five or seven years, for the previous five years before that, they've been reducing the losses, reducing the losses. You're thinking, great, they're about to turn profitable. Things are about to pick up. It's about to go well. And they've just flatlined from there, sales-wise, absolutely, but even profit-wise. Now, the good news is they're not bleeding more cash, but they're not making any either. Um, and they're raising more over time. So in that sort of situation, this is, again, your best viewed as a biotech business rather than an animal business. Right. And as my general view on biotech is, one of them eventually will be the next CSL, but another 99 won't be. Again, for our for our rural viewers and our rural industries, I hope these guys are successful and really help, uh, you know, improve uh, the ability of, of farmers to to keep producing great quality cattle and sheep. But right now, it just doesn't seem like yeah. this is a particularly as a business as opposed to a you know an operation. Uh, there's not a lot there, obviously, for the investor. Now it's super cheap. Wouldn't take much for it to go up meaningfully, and so maybe you might say, well, it's worth a punt. Uh, being cup day, maybe that's appropriate, but no, not, not one for me. I don't sell it if I owned it. Okay. Um, does a lot of research with University of Newcastle, Mark, and um, what yeah, do you think? Yeah, I would echo Scott's um, comments there that, you know, it's a great... It's a great idea, and we hope that these sorts of th- businesses go well. But like a lot of these biotechs, um, you know, very few of them actually come through to be you know, yeah. very successful businesses. So I had a, look, a quick look at the quarterly update, um, and yeah, it was costs increasing um, by I think, triple digits in some cases. Uh, there was legal fees for not lodging cleansing notices, which possibly doesn't suggest they're particularly organised. Right. Um, there's, you know, FDA approvals uh, for China and the US, but we've all been suckered in by that FDA merry-go-round before. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's one okay. of those things that... How I tend to approach these when clients call up um, asking about, you know, biotechs that, you know, for Alzheimer's drugs or cancer drugs, etc., is uh, we just wait until we start to see a rise or a spike in volume. Um, yeah. We just chuck an alert in, and because there's a you know human nature is that these things tend to gather a little bit of uh, gossip behind the scenes before they actually announce something. Yeah. So, um, and that seems to be the best way to keep your capital oh, out of out, just kept out of out of harm's way until something actually happens. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work all the time, but it works some of the time, and. Um, we've had a couple of, you know, you know, a couple of success stories playing it that way. But 
you know, the the hundred odd stocks that we would have sitting there just with dormant capital doing nothing right. for clients would um, okay. save people an absolute fortune. So um, yeah, the stats don't look great at the moment. If they can obviously get themselves organised and um, and get some of these approvals through and uh, start getting might out there a as a business, it might, might be yeah, might because it is yeah. I mean, it's it's at one point six cents or something. Yeah. So. Okay. So let's go from a. $16 million biotech to a retail behemoth. Uh, Lewis, Mark, wants a view on La Visa, the uh, um, custom job, costume jewellery, low-cost mm. uh, jewellery retailer, recently got into the ASX 200. Its share price in the last three months has been extraordinary, hasn't it? Well, everyone has... Look at that, yeah. 12.91 to 24.00. It's doubled since the lows in June. Well, it's not quite not quite up there with some of the lithium stocks, but... Um, oh, you know. all right, <laughs> stocks showing off again, but, but am- amongst retailers... Amongst retailers, well, I think I, I was sort of um, you know, banging my head against a bit of a brick wall there in May, June, saying yep. our, our retailers were very oversold. Um, the retail sales figures have remained fairly strong, up another 0.6 this yep. month. Um, where the big shift has been is been into smaller items and department stores. Um, so essentially, those big ticket household items probably aren't what's on the radar, right. given that mortgage you know mortgage rates are going up. Et so rather than Nick Scarley's with big furniture, people yes. are going to this the old. What is that? The lipstick index. The lips. Yes, exactly. When times so, get um, tough, you buy small things as a reward. Well, that's exactly right. And I've got teenage uh, boys and girls, and yeah. uh, I've happened to have to spend a fair bit of time in La Visa, but yeah. and it's one of those shops where you can walk out and not feel like you've been, you know, fleeced. You've been absolutely <laughs> fleeced. It's all great. You know, it keeps it. It knows its market basically. Right. So uh, yeah, look, there's there's talk of. Um, international expansion um, and or they or the sorry they are expanding internationally they've got really high margins uh, and it's one of those things it's not necessarily recession proof but being a low cost you know small items you might I don't think we're gonna really see um, you know the, it's it's demographic derailed yeah. by uh, you know we're talking more pocket money than we are talking yeah but at these levels yeah I, I can't I can't, I can't call it a buy um, right but I can certain I'd certainly say you probably just hold on to it for now yeah uh, and look as much as it has fallen away um, you know and bounced from those that 12 uh, yeah. around that 12 region it was up around here at the start of the year, yeah. so okay. I don't, Fair you know, I don't. I think it's more market volatility that is um, same. The same with uh, things like Zip, for instance, where you can't say that it's worth seven dollars again just because it's, you know, um, yeah. you know, now it's down here at sixty-five. Obviously, it was froth to the upside. So with this, I think, you know, if you're looking at it on a on a weekly chart, which I've got here, it's. It's just basically retested and broken the top of the range from the start of the year. So right. it's not doesn't look that extreme. Hmm, uh, okay. And yeah, I uh, and I think it will do if you can maintain those margins. I think it'll do oh. quite well. So a hold for you? A hold for me? Yeah, I'd probably be looking to buy it somewhere in the high teens potentially. Okay, Scott. Uh, I'm going to be a little more bullish than that, Koshi. I'm going to say it's a buy. So let me put that up front mm. just for the sake of contrast. And for all the reasons Mark's actually mentioned, just I, I think. If you if you can extend this out long enough, extrapolation is always a dangerous thing to do in general in investing and life probably as well. But mm-hmm. certainly in investing, if you look at the sales growth they're getting. They've they've doubled sales 
per share in the last two years odd. Their cash flow per share was up 50% uh, in the last year alone. Now, a PE of 40 looks stupidly expensive, and it probably is, unless they keep this going for a number of years. And we look back at, and I, I, it's always a terrible example to use Amazon. I own the shares for what it's worth. But if you look back at those sort of situations and say, you know, we thought at some point Amazon would stop growing. Maybe it was 97, maybe it was 03, maybe it was 05, maybe it was 2012, maybe it was 2017. And yep. they just kept growing and growing. Now, the lease is no Amazon, let me be really, really clear. But what I mean by that is if you think about the compound potential of this sort of business over an extended period of time, if they can continue to grow internationally, that's the key ticket. The CEO's stupidly remunerated, I don't mean stupidly as in badly, I mean he's up for an absolute squillion dollars if he can grow the international sales meaningfully over the next, I think it's three to five years. I have to double check the remuneration report. But basically, every incentive to blow into many, many new international markets. And we know how small Australia is relative to the mm -hmm. rest of the world. If they get a decent foothold in the US or the UK or Europe or all three, and then continue to kind of build that out and build that out and build that out, there is huge opportunity for them. So this is absolutely a high risk one, whether you're holding or buying at this price. Uh, you know, if you're holding and you, know, you could sell, so uh, you know, hold to buy out that far apart. Uh, I think it's probably a decent chance, a very good chance, I think of probably beating the market from here. You're gonna, it's gonna be volatile. It may well halve before it doubles for what it's worth. So yeah. this is not one to say it can't go lower than this price. It absolutely can, we've seen that in the chart. I would, I would take a guess if they can continue doing what they're doing. And if we're right, we're all right. I think I agree with you guys about who the customer is. Um, probably less susceptible to economic swings. The biggest risk I actually think is fashion. If they get that wrong and people start shopping elsewhere because the is suddenly over it, past it, no longer cool. And that could happen any time, let's be honest. This is fad business. Um, so they're, they're, you know, they're running on a treadmill just to stay still. But if they can continue to grow internationally, um, this business has got really, really significant upside. So mm. if I was to buy it today, I'd say the downside is not inconsequential. The upside is pretty substantial. That that you know asymmetric outcome, if you like, I think is what tips me towards a buy. Right. But only for those who are really happy to see it halve and double and half and double and half and double again. Okay. So are you are you bullish on on retailers generally, Scott? I actually am on price wise. Yeah. Look, I mean these guys are very different because the market already loves Levisa, so they are already priced to the moon. There are right. some really high quality retailers and some really low PEs at the moment, Koshi. Um, I'll just call it JB Hi-Fi quickly. Last I checked, it was on single digit PE. Yeah. And think about a business like JB Hi-Fi. Here's the thing. You know, I'm a long-term shareholder. I want to hold this thing for there you go, nine and a half times. I want to hold this thing for, if I own it, five plus years. Yeah. If I think about, let's say, let's say we have a recession next year. Let's say it all goes to, you know, yeah. to, to hell in a handbasket. We have a recession. Then go out to 2027 and say, right, by then are we out of recession? Almost certainly. Has JB Hi-Fi found a way to grow from today's level of profitability, almost certainly, looking back on that and saying, well, hang on, if I could have bought that at nine and a half times earnings mm. in 2022, shouldn't yeah. I? I yeah. think that's a pretty clear yes. So plenty of people will say, I'm not gonna touch it because of what, what might happen next. They might be right. I'm gonna say, I'm, I'm gonna buy because I don't care what happens yeah. next. As long as these businesses aren't damaged structurally, they obviously have the same business, not damaged structurally or competitors don't have some sort of you know, structural shift. Yeah. If JB is anything like the business it is today in five years' time, yeah, I reckon this price will look cheap, for example. Yep. Single, single digit, no, you're saying LaVisa's at 40 types earnings, which is hard. Yeah. All right, um, uh, Rob Mark wants a view on Betmakers. Now, to, despite the name, which you think is a betting company, uh, they're actually <laughs> a tech company, aren't they, mm. that provide technology uh, to bookies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Mr. Waterhouse, who uh, was on just before, was uh, a shareholder in this business at one stage and right. so he exercised some options. I think it was about July last year and uh, managed, he's, he uh, fulfilled his part and uh, managed to sell his shares very quickly uh, right. over a few days. Knocked the share price down quite a bit, but he's done very well because I think he... Uh, Hell! 
Look at that, yeah, twenty-one to twenty-eight cents. I dare say he averaged roughly around about the ninety cent mark. So uh, you know whether he knew something or not, but um, but yeah, this yeah, betmakers. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough market uh, overall. Uh, there's so many, there's so many. Um, Different bookmakers out there, they, these guys, but I mean, whilst there's 170 betting licenses or plus in Australia, uh, whether they're going to capture, you know, right. a, a huge market is, is, is yet, we're yet to see realistically. Uh, this was a fairly decent and solid range trade back uh, about a year ago, but realistically, once it busted okay. through, through that 80 cent mark, we've, we've pretty much had it off our watch list overall. Uh, Points bet, I think, which we're covering next, yeah. is uh, they've recently had a big um, big investment from Susquehanna, which is one of the options market makers in, right. in financial markets. So, I mean, who knows where, you know, whether their technology is going to be, right. is going to be supreme to anyone else's anyway. I mean, they're, um, they're fairly same same in terms of uh, managing risk, uh, okay. markets and markets and betting, I suppose, uh, where sort of anything can happen. So, yeah, it would be more. Um, I can sort of see their market shrinking. There's a lot of advertising costs and things going involved. Yeah. Whether they, it's it's very difficult uh, this okay. space. So yeah, I, I not no I, for no, I, don't, I just don't think you need to be there at the moment. Okay, uh, Scott, that's a horrible chart too, is it? Mm. Yeah, it's awful. And uh, I, Tom was talking about the, the idea of, you know, the, the kind of picks and shovels plays. He didn't use that phrase, but the idea of the provider to the bookies. I actually think it's a smart way to play it. It's a bit like uh, being a technology provider in a whole lot of other places. You don't have to take the risk yourself. Yes. Uh, you mentioned Steadfast before, Koshi. This is where Steadfast is a great business because they get to benefit from the growth in insurance without taking a single dollar's worth of insurance risk, yeah. uh, which is just a beautiful thing to do. So these guys are, are similar to that. The chart is ugly, but more than that, they've got, a, they've got widening losses and Yes, they are a really important part, as Tom said, between the bookie and, and the, the government or the bookie and the, and, and the, um, the sport or the races. And so that's, that, they have an important part to play. A little bit like Appian we talked about before, that's just not enough sometimes. And thus far, at least, they haven't got to scale. I am not convinced yet that they can sufficiently get to scale at a time and a size that justifies investing at today's price, quite honestly, because right. the losses are widening. You've got to say to yourself, again, you know, sh- show me the money or at least show me the plan convince me that today's price is attractive based on where you might be in three to five years. Now, they may well do it. It's, everything everything is possible and everything's on the table. We know how quickly software and data can scale. It's effectively a single point of cost and then a multiple revenue source business. So we know what that can look like if they get there. But I'm not entirely sure, frankly, where they go to or how they get that. From, you know, they'll have plans. Don't get me wrong. They will tell you exactly if you ask them, here are the things we're going to do to get the scaling yeah. and profitability. And they might well be absolutely right. There's just no sign of it yet. Um, and it's just a bet you don't, no pun intended actually, there's just not a bet you have to make. Um, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't, who knows. But if you're gonna to toss a coin, you're probably better off finding something better to invest in. So yeah, look, I, despite the share price falls, if I own the shares, I'd sell it. I think it's probably just better places for your money. Yep. It's also the second most shorted stock on the exchange. Oh, really? So, yeah, about, <laughs> oh, okay. about 14.8%. So. Oh, okay. All right, not much faith uh, and, in it then. And the top five's not a, not a very pretty list. So. No, all right. Um, let's go to our, our next stop, and, and Mark sort of pointed towards it. Isaac wants a view. Scott on points bet. This is mm. um, a betting app, isn't it? And and a betting business. It's a it's a really interesting one, Koshi, because they they're, they're kind of a bit of everything. They're a corporate bookmaker. They're a provider of effectively white labelled um, betting software to a whole lot of other players. 
particularly in the US where they're doing deals with individual lotteries or, or gambling businesses in those individual states, like, hey, let's partner, use our software, we'll use your license and market know-how, together yeah. we'll make a fortune. It's a really attractive idea. And this is where, unlike uh, BetMakers to some degree, PointsBet has some really big potential upside, but it's a whole lot of binary outcomes. And they haven't actually had the rub of the green when it's coming to winning a lot of those deals recently. So you kind of, if you, if you had one of these things where you got a certain number of shots in the locker, you say, well, only a couple of them need to come off to make some money. It still remains true. And you'd even think probabilistically they should be able to get two or three across the line. They just haven't yet. And right. I'm not entirely sure whether as an investor you say, yeah, there's two ways to look at those sort of things, right? You, you are, the wind's either closer, ever closer every time you miss one, the, the wind gets one, <laughs> you know, one closer. Or you say, yeah. maybe there's something simply wrong here. If it's always going to run second, if it's always the bridesmaid, never the bride, then waiting for it finally to be picked up as the winner might be a fool's errand. You may well find that it's always number two for reasons that are maybe discoverable or maybe not. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, so I like the structure. The Again, white labeling the software is a great solution because they've already built it. They just have to basically yeah. make a margin on the sale. Um, and the JV is a really smart way to capture that value. So I like all that stuff. Again, either they've been really unlucky or there is something actually not right with either who they're choosing to partner with or the price they want or the offering they've got for the regulator in that particular state. Until they start winning some contracts, I, I think it's probably... You, there is no way to handicap the odds. I'm deliberately, half deliberately, but using some racing speak to make the show a bit more fun. Uh, but, you know, handicapping the odds in this case is on what basis would you say they are more likely to win the next one? Yeah. And, you know, it's if, so, if someone keeps losing, as you say, maybe, maybe the final, the first win is around the corner or maybe they're going to be the wooden spoon. So I don't know. Um, again, I, I, it just sometimes it's just too hard. You just got to say, I don't know if I'm going to walk away rather than needing to make a, uh, to make a punt. So look, uh, you know, continuing again, Still losing money, um, issuing more shares. I just I I want to see some traction with that product in the US before I have enough conviction to say there is meaningful upside left there. Okay, Mark. Yeah, this one I think you really want to be waiting until they start to prove themselves because it could this could realistically end up being a very binary uh, mm. a very binary investment because essentially the amount of money these guys have got to spend on marketing to stay ahead yep. means that. Inevitably, you're going to have to put your hand in your pocket again at some stage. Right. Um, which, so, whether you, I mean, which begs the question: Do you need to be there now, or if they actually do uh, kick a few of these goals, um, that you buy it, say, on the way back up through, say, four dollars okay. or something like that? But they're, uh, I mean, they are swinging the bat. They are. I mean, they got some licenses early, and then you know they missed out on a few as well. Uh, obviously, it's been a very, very rapid fall from eighteen dollars to two dollars. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely sort of lost some momentum, and you know. But but despite the share price falling, you know, how much money did they spend on bringing Shaq yep. out here and things like that? Yep. So, you've just probably got to be aware that management don't aren't really mindful of the share price at the moment, and they yep. aren't looking to. Uh, to batten down the hatches anytime soon. It looks like they're just, you know, they're just swinging for the fences here. And right. if it comes off, great. But if it doesn't, you're just going to be putting your hand in your pocket okay. for continual cap raises for the time being. So I think, they, right. yeah, their gross margin's 30%, but their net margin's not negative 90. So that's never good. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, that sort of highlights it, does that? Yeah, but, you know, some, it's, it was definitely a stock for more buoyant times with zero interest rates. Yeah. You know, not with now, rising right. interest rates, they're going to have to start paying for that money, which is not going to improve that, yep. uh, those stocks. Okay. All right. Let's recap our uh, first five stocks. 
Uh, Appium and No from both Mark and Scott. Uh, Memphis the same. LaVisa a hold from Mark, a buy from Scott. Uh, Betmakers a sell from Scott, a No from Mark, and points bet a No from both of them as well. Um, here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction fantasy fund as picked by the investment committee. Uh, the latest episode of the committee is um, will be live tomorrow night is the November meeting. So tomorrow afternoon um, in the October meeting, uh, they got out of Ardent Ledger, uh, trimmed BAPCOR, added a bit to Sol Pattinson, trimmed a bit from Incitec Pivot and added Seek to it. As I say, the latest investment committee is um, on the platform tomorrow evening. Uh, so far, since the 1st of March, the fund is up 4.3% on a cumulative return basis. Keep sending in your requests for the call because that's the first filter that gets up to the investment committee. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Now, Thursday on the small caps, we have a showdown. Look at this. Philip the Bull, Pepe from Shoreham Partners, up against Mathan the Bear, Somers and Darren. That is this Thursday live and free on Ausbiz. <laughs> and um, uh, Philip came, <laughs> came up with the boxing poster. So it should be a bit of fun on Thursday's version of the call as the two of them lock, uh, lock horns, so to speak. Uh, this half hour, we continue our Melbourne Cup theme. We're going to be taking a look at Tabcorp, Star Entertainment, Setire, Meyer, and Australian Vintage. Scott, uh, Mitchell wants a view on Tabcorp now. Remember, of course, some people would say all the, uh, all the best bits of it uh, were spun out into the Lottery Corporation, Tabcorp, is what's left. Uh, what do you think mm -hmm. of Tabcorp? <laughs> I think that characterization is actually pretty true, Koshi. Yep. Or at least what I like about the, the breakup is it actually, the individual shareholders can choose the bits of the business they want to invest in. Yep. Uh, Lottery Corporation, fantastic cash cow business. By the way, pretty expensive right now, but fantastic cash cow business. Really good, almost annuity style income. People are going to play Lotto forever. And they are individual state licenses granted um, to, to, to the Lottery Corporation to do its thing. Tabcorp is in a you know, I would say fight for its life, but not miles away from that. Uh, we heard again uh, from Tom earlier in the program that all the online and corporate bookies coming from overseas, uh, the Palmers, the Yanks, uh, yeah. are all, you know, looking at Australia and saying, hey, these guys will bet on flies going up a wall. Let's come and jump into this in, in this area. So separating out the Lottery Corporation, basically, it, it is a bit of fight or die for Tabcorp. And it's, and it's a really, I think it's a good position to be in for the business, as long as you know what's going on. With the Lottery Corporation around its neck, yes, it could have used some of that cash flow to try and do something. But you kind of got this split focus. Now, management should be able to do two things at once. I'm not one of those people who says every business should be a pure play, mm. but I do think separating this out makes a whole lot of sense. The shareholders know the fight they're in for. The management team know what fight they're, they're, they're after. It lets them basically choose a, a, you know, a strategy and go with it. And I like the slim down business that they built. Mm. Now, I didn't say I like the shares, I like the business. It gives right. Tabcorp a chance to say, right, here's who we are. Here's what we do. Here's how we're going to do it. 
let's slim down. Let's really focus on what we're trying to do here. Change the culture if it needs to be. They need to operate like, dare I say it, the, the points the, the points bets and the bet makers of the world. Yeah, they're both losing money. They are they are inferior businesses to Tabcorp for sure. But it's that kind of idea of hey, these are this is the competition here, guys. We can be the big bloated, you know, licensed lotteries business with a with a wagering business tacked on, or we can say, you know what, let's go and make something of this. It is it is worth saying just quickly too that when the Tabcorp and Tattersall's business was merged back in the day, it was supposed to be, bring synergies. And now demerging them is supposed to unlock value. Right, and, yep. You know, both are true, and the investment banker say it is. So take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> uh, even the Tabcorp announcement recently, they said, "Oh, oh no, we, the the, the demerger continues to unlock value." It's like, well, anyway, different conversation. <laughs> Tabcorp is really hard to value right now because of that spin-off. They're oh. going to have to take out a whole lot of corporate costs. You know, splitting. Now they've got two CEOs, two boards, two yep. CFOs, two whatevers. That's an expensive business to add. They're actually adding costs by doing that. Um, it's unclear to me what Tabcorp looks like by itself. So I don't, I, I like the fact they demerge. I think it's the, the right thing for the Tabcorp business and the shareholders, as long as they know what they're now owning. But it's a very, very difficult fight. It's going to be a street fight. They're going to have to work really, really hard. And we haven't yet seen a clean year. Even the last dividends that were paid were 11 months of the Lottery Corporation earnings in those numbers. Right. So you've got to strip all that out. I can't reasonably value it. The, the numbers I'm looking at say 35 times earnings. It's probably roughly right. But anyone's guess what it does from here. So I want to watch it closely. There is some value at some point. Right now, just too murky to buy. Right. Wait and see, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would absolutely echo that. Obviously, with the demerger, you've got to see how um, you know new management uh, whether they're so, up for it. Well, that's exactly right. And a lot of companies have turned around and actually, when yep. they've been demerged, have, have you know right. come out of the shadow, a big brother. So. Yeah, maybe. South 32 out of BHP, a classic well, example. Exactly. It was meant to be mm-hmm. the dogs of BHP. I think just about anything has well. been spun out of BHP, really, <laughs> but uh, I don't think any of them have oh, gone backwards. Harsh but, mark, but yeah. Well, but, you know. You'd buy Woodside, but I'm, yeah. Yeah, anyhow. yeah, yeah. So... The, <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to wait and see. They, you know, reading their, uh, you know, their update was their their future hero was the digitisation or growing digital part. Right. Uh, they have got that initiative. Uh, they've improved all their apps. Uh, they've got that initiative where now, when you're, you know, at a, you know, a, a venue, you can go into venue mode and things to get people off their phones, yep. just betting on points bet or. Uh, or, or the like, or Betfair and things like that. So I think that was a that was a smart move from them to yeah. try and recapture that uh, try and recapture that market. Um, even though it's only a four metre walk to the to the tab yeah. machine anyway, people yeah. still tend to sit down and uh, <laughs> use their phone. But it, look, it's a competitive market, uh, and increasingly, you know, these promotional bets are dragging you know dragging mm. away. Um, a lot of tabs, sort of traditional businesses, uh, or traditional business, sorry. Uh, but I'd like to see how they execute because they may—they've likely been pushed to the back of the of the annual, you know, the half yearly updates um, with the lottery stuff at the front for the yeah. past, you know, five or six years at least. Uh, you know, as the as, as being hidden away. So now they're front and centre. Maybe maybe the team can pull something together. They did have. Uh, I mean, the reopening is going to help. Today would be what the first um, full Melbourne Cup day for mm. what three years, just yeah. about. So yeah, yeah. Uh, you would expect tab makes that you know fairly easy. Uh, yeah. It's always good. The, the pools for the big trifectas and things like that will probably attract some attract some dollars and the amateur punters as well. Yep. who don't want to sign up to all it. All us um, mugs. Yep. Yeah, 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 myself included. So 
So yeah, no. I'd like to see how they go over the next few reports, and I'd yeah, but I'd say this is I mean the entire gambling space at the moment, given the given how competitive it is, it's just okay. it's a very much a wait and All see. Right, wait and see. Uh, Zoe wants to know, Mark, whether it's a wait and see on Star Entertainment when you talk about gambling houses and casinos have certainly had a bit of a spotlight on them. All of them at the moment. Yes, we're still waiting on the fine from the Queensland government. Um, there's also preset loss limits coming into uh, into a few states, I believe, uh, 2025 yep. for poker machines and things like that. Which is, uh, we'll, I mean, we'll see how that, you know, whether there's it's a way enforced. around that or, mm. uh, yeah, whether it's enforced exactly. Um, and you know, a lot of their money was from the high rollers, and obviously they got caught out. You know, hotel expenses were some, yep. were sky high, but they actually were gambling expenses etc whether you know those high rollers just go elsewhere with looser regulations uh, yeah. so yeah and and i sort of question the the i mean tyro for instance uh, is that a you know is the ex tyro ceo is their new ceo uh that business didn't you know share price not going so great mm. uh and you know the business is whilst it's, you know improving numbers there um, still wasn't making a hell of a lot of money so whether the whether the new ceo realistically you know has the background to to pull okay. this out of uh to pull this out of the the doldrums um but obviously we're you know there's a lot of bad news priced in hmm. so i think we'll probably just have to see how things unfold uh, generally okay. and, and and i dare say probably more their uh, hospitality side Rather than the gambling side, that's going to that's going to start to pull them out. Okay. So maybe the reopening trade helps out. So not at the moment. Wait and see. No, not at the moment. No, there's too okay. much there's too much regular um, well regulatory um, things. You know, question marks to, over them. Yeah, question yeah. marks at this stage. Okay. And if they've got to operate within a restricted um, manner, then that's just not going mm. to help with extra compliance costs, etc. Scott Star Entertainment. Yeah, I think I agree with Mark broadly, Koshi. So much to try and unravel here. What we simply don't know is how much of their profit is unsustainable if they have to uh, abide by, frankly, I was going to say a new set of rules, the existing set of rules that allegedly they didn't abide by. If yeah. you, you know, they only did that, you know, so let's think it through. If you're going to do something like that allegedly and, and allegedly break the law, throw a few more allegedly in there, keep yourself out of, out of court, uh, then uh, you know, if, if, that's, if that's the approach they're taking, then you've got to assume they did it because there was more money in it. In other words, you strip that back away, the business is just less profitable. How much less, we don't really know. There is some, if, you, if you're, if you're um, optimistic and generous, and it might be true, if both Crown and Star, who've each been found to be not playing the game properly, both have to play the game properly. Maybe it's simply as a zero-sum game. Maybe they're stealing customers from each other and, and the actual flow comes back at higher values because neither of them are giving stuff away or, or paying to get punters in or whatever. Or, as Mark said, maybe they go to Macau or somewhere else and simply don't come to Australia in the same numbers. It's just, you don't know. And so, again, a bit like we talked about before with, um, with what was it? Um, with Tabcorp, with the, the yeah. merger. What's business as usual look like for start? What, what do we know they can do for themselves what does it? What do the costs look like? What does the independent monitor find? How long does that independent monitoring role remain in place? The, the, the assignment of the license. Do they even keep the license after that length of time? Uh, I think they probably do. I think the regulators shown they're pretty happy to say, well, we're gonna, we don't want to put people out of work, so I guess you can keep it, but just play by new rules. Mm. I don't know how this is not a business that that doesn't continue to struggle. It may well um, end up with a takeover, by the way, like Crown from another private equity mob, and maybe there's some more money in that. I never, ever, ever buy anything for a takeover potential. 
but I can imagine there might be one if I'm wrong on this one. Value-wise, it does end up doing well. I imagine one of the more likely scenarios might be it just mm. gets so cheap, and again, like Crown, someone says, hey, we can run this thing, and we'll do yeah. it properly, and we'll do it out of, out of government oversight, and we'll, you know, it works in a PE sense, then, then maybe that is exactly what they should do. So there is some upside potential. I wouldn't buy it for that. There's also a, a significant downside potential, just to go nowhere for five or 10 years if they can't get revenue and sales sure. profit growth on the back of this one. So okay. uh, if I owned it, would I hold it? Probably. I'd probably just hold it. I definitely wouldn't be buying. Okay. All right, let's switch from... Um what you bet on Melbourne Cup Day to what you own and wear. And <laughs> Asher wants a view, Scott, on Setire. This is the online luxury goods retailer. It hasn't been listed for that long. Got listed during the pandemic, wasn't it? Out of, uh, with a whole bunch of uh, uh, Chinese backing, but has mm-hmm. brand names in clothing, accessories, footwear, handbags, and gets most of its revenue out of the US. Yeah, I like the way you said, let's turn to what you wear. I know you didn't mean me personally, and obviously your viewers know that because uh, never, never been guilty of, of being a fashion plate. Uh, it's a, uh, look, I really like the Setire business, mate. I think oh. this is probably one of those sleeper companies that just has phenomenal potential. This is a business that was set up as a global reseller of luxury goods. Now, yep. the biggest challenge for Setire is the brands don't like Setire existing. And that can be a really difficult position to be in. So basically, there are a whole lot of licensed luxury goods resellers online. And then Setire, who basically finds ways through the grey market. Now, this is not black market. It's not illegal. It's not counterfeit, to be really, really clear. But it's grey market, right? So they basically do deals with someone who says, look, I buy things from Louis Vuitton. I will then on-sell them to you, Setire. I won't tell Louis Vuitton, you know, where, where who I'm selling them to. You don't tell them either. Louis Vuitton doesn't like us doing it because Setire's prices tend to be cheaper than yep. the authorised resellers. And that's, how that's their business model. Now, which makes it kind of inherently risky in and of itself. Louis Vuitton would like nothing more, I, I'm sure, than for these guys to go away or at least increase their prices so they can keep their brand values high. Um, it's, it's an ongoing challenge. By the way, the same problems happens with um, uh, alcohol importation of Australia. Uh, mm. Bailey's, for example, often imported out of the Netherlands at, at half the price that Diageo yeah. sell to Australians at. Right. So this is not a new model. It's existed for a long time, but they tend to be privateers. People that make a buck by importing a container yeah. of Bailey's and then selling it to the independent bottle shops. Um, Setize does it on a global scale with global brands. So that's the downside risk. And I put that up front because it's a really important one. If they can find a way, the big guys, can, luxury houses, can find a way to stop Setire, they would. Right. But I don't think they will. And I think Setire as a business, and it's, again, like literally a global market. Now, I don't mean global, global. Africans aren't going to buy a lot of Louis Vuitton, for example. Some in South Africa will and parts of Africa, but it's not a massive market. But the developed world is huge and growing. Luxury is going to become even more, I think, bifurcated. We talk about that market where the middle gets hollowed out, right? Aldi yeah. on one hand, Louis Vuitton on the other. That's going to continue to happen. This market's going to grow and grow and grow. Setire, I expect, will take a bigger and bigger share as people know mm. and learn to trust that business. Um, so I like it. Again, super risky, super volatile. Be prepared. This is a 36 cent stock back in June. Uh, so it's been really, really volatile. Uh, a long way to go. And this is a couple of years, as you say. If you have an appetite for volatility, uh, this is one I absolutely think you could look at. Okay. It could go nowhere. You could lose some money. Uh, but the upside potential from here is meaningful if it can get that global global reach and really get its claws in some of those global markets. All right, put you down as a spec buy, Mark. Yep. Yeah, I I tend to agree in terms of it being uh, roll of the dice. I'm 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 of the opposing uh, position basically. Those uh, those big fashion houses and those big luxury brands have a history of shutting down things like this. Yeah. And because it, it essentially is part of their, you know, the way they maintain their margins um, yeah. and their, you know, 
obviously and their brand and their brand etc so i i really see this as something that uh, they will do they will make every effort basically to uh you know to make sure that anyone who's buying from them isn't on selling to set um they've they've done similar things before in the past and i yeah and and to be honest going into a recession uh Potentially next year, luxury items, uh, you know, we're going to get further and further down the okay. list. We had a lot of cash, uh, you know, sitting at home during the pandemic and we can afford to buy big ticket items, but now yeah. it costs you know, 200 yeah. bucks to fill up your car and your power bill comes in, etc. and your mortgage rates are going up. Well, the disposable income realistically is going to be... But it may, it may force people, it may actually end up being a great thing for Setai because people who want luxury items, you know, may use them. However, I I just can't see the big guys. I mean, okay. they they have an enormous reach. Those those big companies. Uh, it's if you have a look at a, a, a diagram of what they what these guys own, they yeah. own everything just yeah, about yeah. and plenty of clout. <laughs> and they have just enorm- enormous clout. Yep. But that doesn't that doesn't mean in the short term this thing can't rocket back to rocket back to highs if it has a couple of good half years, etc. Yep. But It'd be nothing more than a short-term trade for okay. me with momentum, but I, I'd be very wary of trying to hold this long term. Okay. All right, Nick, uh, Mark wants uh, a view on uh, a retailer that is a bit more traditional, maybe too traditional. Uh, wants a view on Maya, the big department store operator. Yeah, conditions are favourable at the moment. Department store retail sales has been probably one of the bigger winners over the last yeah. sort of three to six months. Uh, they, yeah, they... It's a very old business model, let's face mm. it. Um, they're very heavy on uh, real estate. Uh, a lot of their regional stores particularly probably don't have the population to, uh, to, to hold you know, those businesses up, which means uh, obviously your flagship stores um, yep. are sort of making up for it. However, you know, industry median for like-for-like like businesses is around the 21 mark. It's at the moment, it's about an eight uh, down mm. here. Uh, yeah, I, it's not something I would generally be considering. I think there's far better retailers okay. out there. Uh, but look, if you're interested, it's it's roughly about as cheap as it's been in quite a while. It seems to have formed well, a base. So, yeah. it, uh, you know, you, it's a potential technical buy um, through those through those highs there, uh, you know, in the mid 70s. Just because you know their next report will more more than likely be uh, fairly favourable mm. with those okay. retail sales stores. Um, so retail. So sales if you're numbers. in it, hold it. Oh, if you're in it, hold it for the next report right. for sure. Okay. Uh, and you know things couldn't have got much worse for them okay. last Christmas. Obviously, yeah. you know we, we we fully expect you know the Kmart's of the world and the Mys of the world yeah. to have a much better okay. Christmas because you can get back out there and shop. Yeah. And also those those big ticket sale uh, Boxing Day sales and things we weren't really allowed to do those last year. Yeah. So I think for the next six months there's you know Come there's on. some upside in this and then okay. see what the report you know what Scott, the reports are. What do you think of Maya? I really don't like it, Koshi, but I'm now at an asterisk to it. Um, I, I think it is, there are probably three quarters of the stores need to be closed. Uh, the, the store economics are terrible. This is a business that is a lack. There's a, there's a great story of the Intel uh, kind of head honchos, Andy Grove and Gordon Moore of Moore's Law, for those who refer to that, who uh, apparently, I, I believe the story is true, that might be apocryphal, um, walked into the office as CEO and head lieutenant and said, you know, we, we, you know we're in trouble here. Um, you know, if, if we got fired tomorrow and they brought new people in, what would they do? And uh, one of them said to the other, well, of course, they closed the memory chip business down, which was what Intel was doing, yeah. and they concentrated the processor business. 
And Andy Grove said, well, we should do that then. And it's one of those things where they literally said, well, you know, if, if we don't do this, we're going to get fired. If we do it, at least, you know, we're doing the right thing. It's what, it's what a new management team would do. We should do that thing. And Maya needs to do the same thing. If you started yeah. Maya today, you wouldn't say, hey, you know what we should do? We should open 25 odd, uh, you know, very, very large multi-story department stores in really expensive real estate and try and sell a range of stuff that people can get elsewhere. Yeah. It's, just, it's just not a sustainable business model. Now, the flagship stores have value because there is so much scale at those stores. They can make them work. The regional ones are, you know, should be shut down tomorrow. Yep. And they, but the, good, the reason I put an asterisk against it is because the online sales have been really, really strong. The online sales grew by a third last year. I think they make up close to a third of their sales now, too, from huh. memory. And so those sort of numbers, you say, okay, well, Maya, the department store, is a, is a you know, a dead man walking. But Maya, the online brand, on the yep. back of the cachet of the physical department stores in those marquee city locations, that could be a business that has something. Okay. So I wouldn't necessarily rush to sell them. I wouldn't buy them, but if I own them, I'd, I'd probably hold. Certainly hold probably them. Probably own it for the right they've reasons. Got four, well, there's a chance they'll do the right thing. They've got four million active members in their loyalty program. It's a bit Correct. like Qantas. Uh, yeah, their exactly. loyalty program is worth more than the airline, and probably <laughs> this, uh, this would admire as well. Hey, last stop, we've, um, yep. when we get on the bubbly now and from all our wins, Scott, <laughs> uh, we'll need to get through this. Reasonably quickly, Simon wants awesome. a view on Australian Vintage, the big uh, winemaking company owns things like uh, Tempest 2, Tapanapa, um, Barossa uh, Wine Company, groups like that, and and has always been big in the UK and Europe. I I like the winemaking business. I own shares yeah. in Treasury Wine Estates. I've recommended them before. I like that very much. But I like Treasury's brand premium. I like the export business of China. Australian Vintage owns the vineyards, which is not great business. Um, it's just very capital intensive. There's not much going on. They don't yet have the price premium that Treasury can command. Yep. Australian Vintage is better than most wine brands, but it's an incredibly, incredibly tough business. Nine and a half times earnings isn't expensive, though. So this is a straight hold for me. 12 or 13 times earnings, I'd probably sell. Eight, seven times earnings, I might be enticed to buy. Uh, solid hold right down the middle for me. Right. Okay, bye. Yeah, I completely echo those comments realistically. I think Treasury Wines is probably your better option. Um, but it is inexpensive, and uh, the falling Aussie dollar is obviously going to help uh, mm. massively as well. Uh, but I think, yeah, I, I think Treasury Wines now, because yeah. they've matured and then they've gone and bought some stuff in the US as well, uh, is probably your better option for now. Yeah. Um, although these guys, their, their luxury uh, wines were up 20%. Mm. So that's going to improve their margins. But yeah, it's and a capital they're, intensive. They're non alcoholic. Is boomy as well. Apparently, they've got a. Still can't get my head around any of that non-alcoholic <laughs> thing. You either, either have a drink or you don't. But yeah, yeah. But I'm wrong. So yeah, yeah. It's know. going well. All right, guys. Thank you for that. Enjoy your Melbourne Cup day. Uh, Scott Phillips from the Motley Fool. Good on you, mate. Thank you for that. Catch up soon. Mark Gardner from Macro. Good to see you as well. Cheers. Let's recap the final five stocks. Tabcorp. Uh, a no from both Mark and Scott. Same with Star. Setire, speculative buy from, uh, from Scott, a no from Mark. Uh, Maya, a hold from both. And Australian Vintage, a hold from both as well. Coming up on the small caps, um, uh, the chair, CEO of Nickel Industries joins Nadine uh, very shortly uh, at 10 past one for the small caps. And that is the stock in focus today. Is that the one you've been... Yes, uh, it has, yes, it's had a good day today. Well, it was right. when I left the office, so yeah. very cheap. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Mark, before we came on air, I said, how are you going? He said, 
Oh, one of my nickel plays and finally coming off. So Nadine oh. will be going straight to the horse's mouth um, straight after the call in the next couple of minutes to uh, look at the stock in a bit of detail. Uh, if you would like us to cover any stocks here on the call, put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Uh, don't forget, you can see all the stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Apart from the small caps coming straight up 2.30, you'll get the latest analysis when the Reserve Bank decision comes through on interest rates as well. So what happening on Ausbiz this afternoon? Don't go away. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.